Jesus, help that be our prayer. We, we forget. Most days, our longings are elsewhere, so help us, even this morning as we open up your good word to us, to remind us of the greater hope, the greater joy that awaits your people at your coming. So guide us now by your word and spirit, we pray. Amen. Um, Jerome Groupman was a um, professor at Harvard Medical School, and when he would diagnose patients with serious diseases, he, what he discovered was that um, all of them were looking for a sense of genuine hope. And he says that that hope was as important to them as anything he might prescribe as a physician. He wrote a book called The Anatomy of Hope and Grootman was asked for his definition and this is what he said. He said, basically, I think hope is the ability to see a path to the future. You are facing dire circumstances and you need to know everything that's blocking or threatening you. And when you see a path or a potential path, to get to where you want to be, once you see that, there's a tremendous emotional uplift that occurs. Dr. Grootman confesses, I think hope has been, is, and always will be the heart of medicine and healing. We could not live without hope. Even with all the medical technology available to us now, we still come back to this profound human need to believe that there is a possibility to reach a future that is better than the one in the present. So that is exactly what the book of Daniel intends to deliver, right? Um, what we cannot live without, hope for our times of greatest hardship. Okay. So for 70 years, God's people have been held captive in Babylon but in fulfillment of Jeremiah's prophecy, Babylon has fallen and King Cyrus of Persia decrees that the Israelites can return to Jerusalem and when they go back, what do they find? Great resistance and opposition. So even when God's people's prayers are at long last answers, it seems like their troubles continue. And as we read their story of long-suffering, we're left wondering about them. Will God's people endure when evil does its worst? Will they endure to the very end, in the very, very last and most severe times of suffering? Will we? And, and Daniel 12 is intended to provide the hope that's needed to answer those kinds of questions with a sure hope. So open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 12. This is our last week in the book. Um, next week we'll do a review of the book, kind of a summary of what God's been teaching us, but this is the last chapter. And chapter 12 continues where chapter 11 ended, shocker, uh, with a long look into the distant future, right? Um, chapter 11 ended with this vision of a, a number of rulers that were coming in the future of, for God's people. Um, but there was a vision of a ruler who, even though he echoed the evil of that 
uh, most wicked of rulers in the, in the vision in chapter 11, a guy named Antiochus Epiphanes, who did great harm to God's people in the second century BC. This last bit of chapter 11 bounces far into the future, it seems, to a ruler who would even exceed the wickedness of Antiochus. He was called the abomination of desolation in one place, and the vision places him, it seems best, at the very end of time, yet future even for us. So chapter 12 continues that long look into what is the distant future for God's people and the suffering that this one later who will be called the Antichrist will inflict on God's own people. Look at chapter 12, verse 1. It says, at that time, so again, we're talking about the end of time, in a sense, shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. So in Daniel's vision, so this is, this is part of this final vision, Daniel sees uh, what I call a hope sandwich, okay? Um, it's, it's, it's a, in the middle of the sandwich is a prediction of a time of the greatest troubles that have ever happened to God's people. That's in the middle. But on either side of it are greater hopes and encouragement. Two great slices, you could say, of encouragement and hope. The first begins with this angelic, great angelic warrior prince named Michael who's assigned to God's people Israel. And he arises on their behalf. Okay, that's the first slice of hope. There is this great warrior angelic being called Michael who will stand for his people. And then the closing lines of that verse promise victory, right? A deliverance of all those whose name is found written in the book. Um, and this is the hope that makes all the suffering worth it. It's the ultimate rescue that comes to everyone whose name is found written in this book. Um, and Jesus alludes to that book, it seems, when he says in Luke 10, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Um, he, he views it as the greatest of spiritual treasures to have your name written in this book. Written in heaven is Jesus' language. If the book of Daniel has a New Testament counterpart, it's probably the book of Revelation. And uh, there we find a description of what is likely the same book that guarantees our admission to the future city of God. Look at the very back end of the Bible, Revelation 21. It says, nothing in clean will ever enter that great city, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life, it's called. And here the book is connected to Jesus. And, and the, great, the great assurance that your name is written in this book is that you trust and hope in Jesus, right? That's, that's the indicator. But clearly, finding your name written in that book, the book of life, as it's later called, the Lamb's book of life, this is the greatest of treasures. This is the great source 
of hope. It makes your future of the utmost certainty. Look at verse two with me. He says, he goes on and he says, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth, that's just a a metaphor for those who have died, they shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. So piled upon those twin slices of hope of the aid of archangels and the sure deliverance from the worst of troubles, um, now he gives us an even, this vision gives us an even greater hope. This is the hope of resurrection. Um, and this has been called the clearest teaching on the resurrection in the entire Old Testament. Um, Professor Stephen Miller kind of summarizes what he sees here for us. He says, a number of truths concerning the resurrection are set forth in this passage. First, it's a bodily resurrection. The body is brought out of the grave and infused with new life. Second, this new body is immortal. Third, even unbelievers will spend eternity in bodily form. Fourth, the resurrected saints shall receive great honor and great reward, whereas the opposite is true for unbelievers. So Daniel's vision is teaching a kind of dual resurrection, right? Um, Some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt, he says. As... as, um, Danny Aiken at Southeastern puts it in his writing, resurrection day is also separation day. See, for God's people, and from where, from where we sit, that means that those who trust and hope in Jesus, we have a sure and glad future. Nick, I think, quoted from the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, the beginning, where Paul simply says, death is swallowed up in victory in the resurrection of Jesus, right? But resurrection here, we see, even in in the mystery of the Old Testament, we see that it's not just for believers. A resurrection awaits us all. The question is resurrection to what? And British writer from the last century, C.S. Lewis, vividly writes of this kind of dual destiny that happens at the resurrection of the dead at the end of time. Listen to his vivid description. He says, it's a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. Or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long we are, in some degree, helping each other to one or other of these destinations. There are no ordinary people. You've never talked to a mere mortal. It is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. So the destination is immortal horror or everlasting splendor. This dual resurrection is what Daniel is seeing prophesied in his closing vision of the end of all things. And verse three then adds encouragement to those who are what we might call um, disciple makers, uh, folks who help other people follow God's ways. Verse three says, and at that resurrection, those who are wise 
shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So those who help turn many to righteousness will shine like stars forever and ever. That is, believers who help others follow our God faithfully, even amidst suffering, are gonna shine in this fashion. This is, this is what we call discipleship. Helping people far from God draw near and believe and helping those who believe endure and even flourish when they, when they encounter hard times. So just step out of the passage and ask yourself this question. Am I helping anyone follow Jesus better? Is that what I'm doing? Am I, am I making disciples in some way? Am I helping someone follow Jesus better? Let me just say, our church so needs you to, right? We limp because some of you have an only personal faith. It stops at the edge of your property. It doesn't follow you to school. It doesn't follow you to work. You don't serve here, you don't teach here, you don't meet with anyone outside of here to just open the scriptures and read it together and find strength and encouragement. Your prayer list is non-existent. See, this vision says that those who help others turn towards God shine like stars forever and ever. And Jesus may have had this verse in the back of his mind when Jesus said in Matthew 13, then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. And so it seems like all of the shining that Daniel sees in the future of faithful followers, disciple makers, is imagery that's associated with the pleasure of God on your life. And that pleasure the pleasure of God on your life goes on forever and ever, like a star. Um, Randy Alcorn wrote a really helpful little book um, that I'm happy to recommend to you. It's called The Treasure Principle. Um, and it portrays, in it he portrays eternity like a long, endless line um, that goes on forever and ever. And our lives now are just one little dot on that line. And let me, let me just let him give you the best little one and a half minute challenge I've found for you to pour your life into others in light of the line and the dot. Watch this little clip. Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Why is he telling them don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth? Because they're not going to last. It's not simply that it's the wrong thing to do. It's the stupid thing to do. But Jesus says, turn it around. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Then if you know me, you're going to heaven. Then every day of your life, if your treasures are in heaven, you're getting closer to your treasures instead of moving away from your treasures. He who spends his life moving away from his treasures has reason to despair. He who spends his life moving toward his treasures has reason to rejoice. This life is just a dot. And from that dot, 
extends a line, and that line is going to go out forever. We all live in the dark, but if we're smart, we're not going to live for the dark. We're going to live for the line with the people of God, God who will live forever, people who will live forever, His Word which will live forever. So live your life now while you're in the dark in light of the line, investing in the line. What's going to matter after you die? See, that, that's a really creative way to say what verse 3 is inviting us into, right? Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So living for the line and not just for the dot means in part, helping others turn towards righteousness, towards God, towards delighting in his ways. So we have to take the long view. Our future, our future hope is this day's anchor, right? Even if the worst troubles in the history of nations should come on us, that's our hope, that's our anchor. Verse 4, but you, Daniel, the, the angel now speaks directly to him, shut up the words, seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. So again, there's more indicators here that this vision is for the time of the end and it's sealed. Um, the main emphasis is not, not that it's concealed but that it's made sure, it's kept safe until it's to be opened. We would say something like this about precious documents that we have. If you have a will, you would say, shut up the words of your will in your home safe. Keep it secure until the time has come for it to be fulfilled. Right? It's not that it's secret, it's that it's kept safe. It's made sure. And then the angel says this really cryptic statement, many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. And it's not entirely clear at all whether this running and learning, running around and learning stuff is a good thing or a bad thing. I'm honestly not sure. Uh, it could be a prophecy of the life of soccer moms and the internet for all I know. So um, let's just go on to the next verse, uh, verse, verse five. Um, then I, Daniel, looked and behold, Two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And somehow, or excuse me, someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time, and that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. So Daniel's angelic encounters in his vision are like multiplying like rabbits. Uh, so, so much that it's, all, it's hard to really keep track of them all and figure out who's, who's on first in terms of the angelic beings that are here. He's in conversation already with one angel, could be Gabriel, and now two more show up on either side of the stream. It seems like there might even be a third being dressed in linen located above the waters of the stream. So these angelic beings are all over the place in this vision, 
Um, and it may be, some people think that the one who's above the stream, uh, wearing linen, the, um, the white linen above the stream, might be uh, kind of a preview of Christ um, coming into the Old Testament um, before he takes on flesh and comes to dwell on the earth in the New Testament. And, and that, that's linked to who you think this man in linen is in Daniel chapter 10. But you can ponder that more yourself. Regardless of that, heavenly beings are all about, and they want to know, the heavenly beings want to know, how long are these wonders or amazing things going to continue? Likely the angel who asked that question is asking about the great time of trouble that will come upon God's people in the future that that verse 1 talked about. How long are the people of God going to suffer? And this being who's exalted above the waters replies by lifting both hands towards heaven and swearing by God himself. Okay. Now, it was customary to raise one hand in making an oath. Imagine you're in court. You might raise a hand there to take an oath. But here, the raising of both hands surely underscores the super solemnity of this oath as he swears by God himself with both hands raised. And this, this is what he says. It would be for a time, times, and half a time. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. And these numbers, as we've talked about already in this, this, this prophecy-type literature of Daniel, are wildly debated as to their meaning. Is this um, three and a half of something? Is it three and a half years um, if so, if that's true, if they're literal years, then they point to an intense period of suffering for God's people under this being called the Antichrist far in the future, three and a half literal years. But they could also be symbolic. And if so, then they point to a time when judgment is cut short by God's mercy. Um, half Three and a half is half of the symbolic number seven, which stands for fullness or completion many times. Professor Tremper Longman kind of explains how the symbolism could work here. He says, this answer does not give the reader the type of information needed to plot an end on a calendar. Rather, the answer demonstrates that there is a determined time of the end. While it looks like evil will have control forever, its dominance moves from a single time to double time, but then slows to half a time and finally stops. The intention is not to give a precise time period, but rather to indicate that just as wickedness seems to be gaining momentum, it will be slowed and then stopped. Such cessation will happen at a time of great distress, since it will be at the moment when the power of the holy people has been finally broken. Deliverance comes at the most unlikely time. God seems to work that way. When human resources run out, God steps in to demonstrate his power, okay? But the, the big idea is, however you think about the, these numbers or these times, God's mercy is setting a limit to the brokenness in our world, right? Though the exact timing is not made clear to us, we are to persevere in faith that God has decreed an end and a rescue and even a resurrection after this time of great suffering. So we'll, we'll have to come back to these numbers in a bit. But what's clear here is that God has set a limit on this most terrible of times. And in that, he demonstrates his great control and ability 
to one day bring an end to all suffering and trial. And he will. Right? There is hope embedded in these numbers, however we understand them, that God is going to bring an end to all evil and suffering. Professor Dale Davis writes, these things are a parable, we might say, these numbers. If you are Jesus' disciple, you are simply called to keep on going, keep slogging on in your worship of Christ, to keep refusing to bow to the latest idol. Who knows what hatred and damage may fall on you, what threats or enticements may be made to you, but God is going to have a 1335 people, it's a reference to the 1335 years in a minute. And after evil does its worst, the church of Jesus will be there, standing on their feet. Verse eight, Daniel says, I heard, but I did not understand. I'm feeling you, Daniel, right? I'm feeling you at this point. Um, even Daniel, who's gifted to interpret dreams and vision, doesn't understand, so we're, we're in good company. So he asks, my Lord, what will be the outcome of all this? And he replied, go your way, Daniel, because the words are rolled up and sealed until the end of time. So Daniel is told essentially here, go your way, stay faithful. That's essentially what the, the angel's saying to him. Go your way, be about the stuff of your life, because again, the words are rolled up and sealed until the end. And again, this is likely the end of time as we know. Here's a helpful summary again from Professor Long when he says, here Gabriel has just imparted knowledge about the vision that looks to the end and then tells Daniel not so much to study it or derive deeper insight or more detail about the end, but to roll it up and seal it. In other words, you know what you need to know to live in a difficult world with faith. Don't obsess about it and get on living your faithful life until the end. That's a good word. So this heavenly being keeps speaking to Daniel in verse 10. Many will be purified, made spotless, and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who arise will, or wise will understand. So again, there's, there's that idea of two groups that respond in two different ways and have two different destinies, like that resurrection, right? Here, many will be cleansed and refined, but the wicked will continue in their wicked ways. So God's people will gain understanding that leads to their living lives free from sin, in part because of Daniel's vision here. But the wicked will disregard this teaching and continue in their wicked ways. Verse 11, from the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished, and the abomination that causes desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of the 1,335 days. So if the idea of time, times, and half a time has you scratching your head, uh, try to sort out all these different numbers and what they mean. Um, the most helpful perspective I found on this for me is, comes from Professor Dale Davis. He says, what are we to make of these figures? 1,290, 1,335. According to verse 11, the 1,290 days are a time in which true worship is repressed and believers would be under pressure to engage in perverted worship. Hence, it is likely a time of intense suffering when faithfulness will come at immense cost. And then he makes this brilliant insight. The most notable characteristic of the number 1,335 is that it's larger than 1,290. 
So there you go. There's, there's what PhDs in the Old Testament are telling us about these numbers. One's bigger than the other. But he says, if then one makes it to the, to the 1,335 days, he or she has outlasted the 1,290. Such persons have endured. They outlast the pressure, the persecution, the pain. They have gone through and beyond the trouble. The num- numerals may baffle us, but the way they are used here simply implies that Yahweh has a people who will make it in spite of everything thrown at them. And that goes in the this we know bucket. The numbers we put in the we shall see bucket. But likely this corresponds to that same three and a half year, the time times and half a time period, whether that's symbolic or literal, it seems to be the same amount of time being described here that describes a time of great suffering for God's people yet future. And likely the end that keeps being mentioned here is the end of time as we know it and the events that surround the return of Jesus like the resurrection of the dead that's part of this vision. And so this terrible time, times and half a time, sometimes it's referred as the great tribulation. And one of the questions that's often asked is, is that a time that believing Christians will have to endure or will we be spared this terrible time? And... um, Good Christians are on both sides of that. The question is, is the gathering of God's people to be with him before this time of great tribulation or is it after it? Or some people like to wonder if it's in the middle of it. Um, and this, this really does belong for us in the we shall see bucket, right? We'll, we'll, we'll see. But clearly, Daniel wants us to be armed with a sure hope of resurrection So that whether in that time of tribulation that is coming or the many persecutions that will flow into the lives of God's people before then, we will be faithful in trial because we have a sure hope. And our book closes with this word. It's It's addressed directly to Daniel and it's for Daniel. It's a good word for us as as we close out our study. But go your way till the end, Daniel, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. So this, this goes in the this we know bucket, right? This is a promise, a, a promised place for the prophet Daniel. Um, some of your Bibles call it an inheritance, a promised inheritance for the prophet Daniel. Go your way, Daniel. And again, like we saw, this is the second time he's told to go your way. It's the idea of live your life faithful until this happens. Keep walking with your God. Keep following his ways. Keep discipling others to do the same. And eventually we find rest. For Daniel, he's old. And his rest likely comes when he rests in the grave. But yet though he dies, he shall stand. And some of your Bibles here use the language that says he shall arise. And the hope of his sharing in the resurrection promise the angel bore to him for all those whose names are in that book of life, that now is Daniel's personal hope and promise. He shall have an allotted place. He shall have an inheritance. And we have a full, much fuller picture of this place that awaits for us in the New Testament. Um, Heaven, 
is what we often call it. Um, And we find ourselves in this picture as believers in Jesus around the very throne of God. Listen to Revelation 7 as it describes people gathered around that throne. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. And they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat, for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Professor Longman says, in spite of present difficulties, God is in control, and he will have the final victory. The book ends with the angelic interpreter telling Daniel to go your way to the end, And in dressing Daniel, the angel addresses us, the readers. Rest assured, the story of your life is in God's hands, and you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. Don't fret about when this will happen. Live in the light that it most certainly will. An author named Jim Collins wrote a book called Good to Great. Um, And in it, he tells the story of Admiral Jim Stockdale, who was captured by the enemy during the Vietnam War. He was the highest-ranking United States military officer in the Hanoi Hilton, it was called, prisoner of war camp. He was tortured over 20 times during his eight-year imprisonment from 1965 to 1973, and Stockdale lived out the war without any prisoner's rights, no set release date, and no certainty as to whether he would even survive to see his family again. He shouldered the burden of command, doing everything he could to create conditions that would increase the number of prisoners who would survive unbroken while fighting an internal war against his captors in their attempts to use the prisoners for propaganda. At one point, he beat himself with a stool and cut himself with a razor, deliberately disfiguring himself so he could not be put on videotape as an example of a well-treated prisoner. He exchanged secret intelligence information with his wife through their letters, knowing that discovery would mean more torture and perhaps death. Collins had the chance to meet Stockdale, who now walks with a limp because his stiff leg never fully recovered from the repeated torture. Collins asked Stockdale how he could deal with the uncertainty of his fate and the brutality of his captors when he did not know the end of the story. This is what Stockdale said. I never lost faith in the end of the story. I never doubted not only that I would get out, but also that I would prevail in the end and turn the experience into the defining event of my life, which in retrospect, I would not trade. So this morning, it is so, so important that you know your place in the end of the story, that you are sure that your resurrection is one that leads to eternal hope fulfilled, everlasting life, it's called, and not resurrection to eternal sorrow because your name is not written in that book, the Lamb's book of life. The act of faith and believing and trusting Jesus, the Son of God, is evidence of your name being written in that book. Will you trust him? Will you hope in him? Will you believe that he will return for you and raise you, if if it follows your death, even raise you from the dead? This is our great and sure hope, even in the hardest of times. Let's pray together.
Lord, have mercy on us now to receive your word for us. Good, strengthening, mysterious, life-giving, hope-giving. Lord, help us to receive it, to trust in it, and to walk it out. Encouraging others to walk in this good way, to know you and to walk in this good way. And Lord, I pray for those here today that your kindness would extend to them and you would grant them faith to believe, to trust and hope in you, Jesus, the one who by his resurrection makes our resurrection sure.